Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. We are having a really bright moment today. Um, Thank you all for doing that. Thank you for uh, connecting with us. And thank you for supporting the Dr. Pat Show and Transformation Talk Radio. And as I said in the last hour to Benny, we are really in the latter phases of our new technology. And we promise to bring it to you. And we're excited about it. But, you know, there's one thing that I think about a lot, and Benny and I have known each other and have been doing this for about 16 years now. Mm -hmm. And when you have that kind of relationship with someone for that period of time, you know, there are things that happen that you discover about yourself. You discover your humanness, number one. Mm -hmm. But the next part of it is in the discovery of that, regardless of who you are, what age in your life, what you're going through, when you are reminded of that, then the question really is, how do you want to emerge in life? You know, how do you want to take your discoveries about who you are, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of the above, um, the mud fights, the cake fights, the joys, the dancing, how do you put it all together when you think about yourself? Can you actually say what my guest says? Irene Garden? can you actually say, I am glad to be human? Now, I was reading her book, and it gave me a new sense of how much I appreciate how optimistic I am. And believe me, I have been called Pollyanna Patty, uh, you name it. But there's something about that that doesn't make sense to a lot of people when they hear me talk about my childhood, my mom committing suicide, being homeless at 17. So it's almost like there's a disconnect. But Irene really closes that gap because this is a journey glad to be human is a journey to explore, to become curious about your essence, your being. But more than that, optimism and possibilities are absolutely two peas in a pod. They go together. Today, I'm thrilled to have Irene joining me here today. For those of you out there, you know, we're going to be taking a journey through the life, through the idea, the mistakes, the curiosities, um, what does it mean to be human in every dimension of your being and still be in that place of love? Irene, it's great to have you here today. Thanks for joining me. 
Hey, thanks so much, Dr. Pat. I'm so glad to be with you. Um, look, you're an author. Um, this is an award, I mean, award-winning books, award-winning topics. You didn't wake up yesterday and write the book. This is a project that's been on <laughs> the way for you, right? That's for sure. That's but, for sure. But it really is a message for the time we're living in now. Well, boy, it's definitely one I want to share because it's easy to be distracted by all the negativity that's out there in this time of incredible transformation. That's one of the things I think it's really important for us to realize. This is a major shift in the human experience. And that's why we've got to keep looking for the places where we continue to grow throughout these challenges that we're all experiencing. I believe that being glad to be human is not just, oh, uh, we have fun all the time and that's it. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, we experience so many different things, the entire emotional spectrum. But that is what makes us human. And appreciating that and loving those aspects of ourselves, the ones who have gotten us through this, uh, or, or that just kind of twinkle along the top, uh, doesn't matter. What's important is that we value our experience and we look for what we can learn from all our experiences. You know, when I was reading the book, um, I referred to this as a book, but it was like, it was almost like a Simon and Garfunkel song. Now, people, if you don't know Simon and Garfunkel, please just Google it. But the reason I say it, I mean, if you know who those two artists were and what they could do with the message, you know, it, it, it wasn't quite the harsh poetry of a Bob Dylan, but it clearly was, there's a story behind Sounds of Silence. There's a story behind Homeward Bound. And so the way that you're presenting this to us is in the beautiful storytelling and representations of metaphors that we know about. Um, I think we are tired of being academics to our own lives. We really <laughs> want to understand the stories and the curiosities. Mm -hmm. What was it that called you to present this topic in this way? Because honestly, when people ask me why I'm so optimistic, I'm just going to give them your book now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, you know, I, I believe, to be honest, that being an optimist or being glad is actually our default setting, not only as human beings, but as living creatures. Uh, I, I like to say, you know, if atoms weren't glad to be atoms, could they even make cells? I mean, if cells weren't glad to be cells, would they even metabolize? It'd be kind of like, well, I just don't feel like making a, an organ tonight, honey. Besides, I'm not all that good at it. You know, I'm just gonna stay home and not move around. We laugh because we know that's not how the world works. It's not how the universal energy works. Universal energy propels us forward, propels the whole system forward. So I think for me, gladness is kind of like balance. It's something that is innate to us. It's something that we can lose. We can easily lose our balance, but the truth is we can always regain it. And if we seek to regain our gladness, it will come back to us. It will return to us. 
Yeah. You know, I love that you talk about that that way because, uh, you, you know, I can remember growing up and having a very interesting childhood growing up. Um, but who I am today on the inside may be absolutely true of what you've said, but on the outside, mm -hmm. you know, my life's journey was very different. Um, mm -hmm. If you met me in my 20s, clearly the optimist is not the word you'd give me. It would be more like unapproachable. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in my 30s, the best word for me was intense. Mm -hmm. I still get called that. Um, <laughs> but regardless of all of that, there is this stream of beliefs that still holds true for me. Mm -hmm. how, mm -hmm. how important is it for us in when we look at glad to be human to remember our potentiality to create possibilities i think that's absolutely not only important but again natural to us the the possibilities spring up from our daydreams they spring up from our night dreams i think if someone were to say that you were unapproachable in early years that would be because given what had happened to you, you felt a need to protect yourself. Yeah. This is a smart thing to do to protect yeah. ourselves. <laughs> some of us do it beyond when it is necessary. And some of us uh, get locked into that kind of protected position, makes it a little, it's a little rustier to open those hinges, but they can always open. Uh, so long as our desire to open them is there. And that is always deep within us somewhere because human beings are meant to connect. We are meant to be with one another. And you I think what happens when we are continually bombarding ourselves with only the negative aspects of human yeah. behavior, what that does is it makes us draw back from the human. They say, oh, I don't want to be part of a race that does that. I don't want to be part of And of course, when we don't interact, that's not good for us. And it's not good for the human race. <laughs> so uh, remember, this is actually a kind of practical standpoint. It's not a, uh oh, airy thing. It is, it is a, a grounding within our actual bodies, which I think, by the way, is a great place to start. If you're really looking for some optimism or some gladness, if you just sit for a moment and just be, become aware of your breath, your breath is coming in and out of you. Your body actually wants to be here. Mm -hmm. Why would it want to be here? Well, because it is, hope is springing eternal within all of our cells. So if we go back to that natural rhythm within us, we connect with that, then we can begin to, to look elsewhere for, well, what else? well, you know, this sensual experience of that extremely delicious red strawberry, that. <laughs> That's a, that makes me glad. It makes me glad I have a whole set of senses. It makes me glad that I live in a human body. And so we begin to build our own pattern of evidence for why it is a privilege to be a human being in three dimensions. You know, one of the things that I was struck by is how you talk about that throughout the book storytelling is just beautiful. And I was struck by one of the things in the book. Um, one of the things I was reading, um, 
it just got my attention today. There's so many things. But under the the chapter of the book where you say, imagine a way in rather than out. <clears throat> now, wow. So much of us right now wants the way out, wants the escape. But then I read the story that followed about the sign. <laughs> and and I, I want to talk about this, if we could, for a minute. Sure. Because I'm reading this and I'm thinking, my God, you know, this stuff like this is like happened to me like a lot now. And I was thinking about it and I just said, I've got to ask you about it, Irene. I have to ask mm -hmm. you about it because as I started to read and go through this, it's an everyday life experience that would see benign at the very nature of it, mm -hmm. but it has such meaning. I mean, why would somebody get hit in that? I think you got hit in the head, right? I almost got hit. In almost the head. got hit in the head. Okay, so <laughs> I literally got hit in the head for you in reading it. So that, wow. that was <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but I often believe that we are given signs and instances and things that happen and we just don't pay attention to it. And, you know, then as I was reading on, you went from that story to talk about gratitude. I want to know what happened, what transformative thing happened to you to get from almost being hit from a, by a sign, <laughs> right? Um, and you have pictures in the book to a sign of gratitude, because I learned something about gratitude from losing things in my life many times, mm. only to gain everything back inside mm. of me, not on the outside. Mm. But the lesson of gratitude is so hard to explain the power of it. And I wanted to ask you about it because it stuck with sure. me, not sure. because oh. gratitude but now I can't think of gratitude without the image of you almost being hit by a sign. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for our listeners, uh, what Dr. Pat is referring to is I found a, uh, a wooden sign that, that was uh, used to belong to a movie theater. And it said, yeah, dot, which if you reverse it, it says today. So it was right. a sign that was used to print the word today onto a banner that would go, into a, a, into a movie theater saying, you know, this is today, this movie opens today. Well, I love this little sign, it was an old sign, and, and a heavyweight wooden sign. And so I bought it from the little antiques dealer and I came back and I had it hung up over, uh, over my door and I was about to go out the door when it slipped from its perch and I dodged back just before this heavy wooden sign was about to crack me in the skull. <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Uh, and so, of course, that certainly put me into the present moment today, right now. And it made me, again, just be very aware of, first of all, being glad not to be hit in the head by the sign, but also just gratitude for being alive, for my reflexes, for uh, the ability that we have that we don't consciously uh, process, uh, that we're on the lookout for ourselves. Right. We can protect ourselves and to be grateful for that. And one of the things that I think is so interesting about our time period, uh, Dr. Pat, is that 
we all remember in the couple of years leading up to this time period, I certainly do, wherever you went, you would go into a bookstore, there'd be 50 different journals about gratitude. You would go into a stationary place. There are 25 different kinds of pads of paper that you can write three things you're grateful for every day. Gratitude became a very big practice in the culture. It just kind of was was bubbling up. And I think it's interesting because I think it's a really good practice for the challenges that we're living through right now is to go, well, yeah, but what, what other than the headlines can we be aware of? Um, we can't substitute the headlines for our own presence on earth. And it's when we are in our own presence, in our body, with the people we love, out in nature, whatever, these things are all things that can support not only our gladness to be human, but our gratitude practice. And interacting with other people is one of those things that will really intensify your gratitude, especially when we're seeing so much compassion happening right now Yeah, so many people. Yeah. Um, this is really what was so important. You know, when I was reading your, your book, I was struck by a number of different things. And you know, one of them was the poetry, beautiful poetry, right? Um, I, and, and I want to talk with you about this before we go to break. There are many, many things in here that I think that we start to question ourselves about. Um, when we're curious, we're told we're too nosy, um, mm -hmm. right? Right? Our curiosity. Um, if we're creative, at a time where other people around us are busy, you know, they don't see any point to creativity. And you talk about this, and I want to, I want to get to that. Mm -hmm. But there are also times in our lives where, you know, let's just say we've fallen down. Um, mistakes, we've made mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to break out in song. What is that song, Benny? And mistakes, I've made a few. I don't know what that song <laughs> is. But, yeah. um, but this really is a point in our lives where we're really being asked to really look at our humanness, but not with disdain. Mm -hmm. You know, we are really have an opportunity to look at ourselves from a place of reflection and projection. And I wanted to ask you this about, about glad to be human. Did you ever think of a time in your life when one, you either weren't glad to be human or you didn't know you were human? And, <laughs> and I don't mean that physically because we have a human body. But there are mm -hmm. times in our lives where we just don't feel like we are the human that the commercials or the ads say we should be. Have you have you had that show up in your life? Oh, certainly, certainly. Uh, and I wouldn't be human if I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I too had a, a very challenging uh, childhood. Um, I was one of seven children in a household that had two 
lovers of martinis. And it was, it was a, it, there was lots that was great about my upbringing. Uh, I was taught to love words for one thing, which has stood me well for many, many years. Uh, and, but my mother was a, what you would call a narcissist. And uh, happily, I good because of my mother's incapacity, uh, all of us kind of suffered from a lack of physical closeness in our yeah. lives. And my response to that was to overeat and to put on, you know, a hundred pounds and yep. spend my life struggling with food and body image yeah. issues. My sister and, too. Oh, is that right? Oh, she died well, on a yeah. hospital floor, floor at about 400 pounds, I'd say. Oh, my dear. Oh, yeah. my dear. And of course, she had you both had that terrible, terrible experience with your mom. Yeah. So we have these things. We go, oh, why is life even worth living? I just I can't stand myself, which is, I think, the ultimate bad feeling is where you cannot stand yourself, where you feel you're not capable of surmounting the challenges that are ahead of you, that nobody cares anyway, that it's just a game that's rigged for other people if you don't follow this certain set. You know, all of those voices that can assume really powerful places in our head. And they usually come because we're trying to distract ourselves, understandably, compassionately. We're trying to distract ourselves from the pain within us. So we're looking outside of ourselves for this kind of validation. Or we're looking into this magazine to find out, okay, well, if I look this way, will that make me feel good? Or if I possess these things, or if I... So addiction, distraction, these are the ways that we try to run from the emotional realities within ourselves. And yet it's the truth. You know, you were talking about stories earlier, Dr. Beth. The, the truth of every story, the truth of every heroine story is that she stops running from the dragon. She turns and fights the dragon. Totally. Or she turns and realizes the dragon is just a shape of smoke. And she had the power within her all the time. So those deep knowledges in our stories represent our inner truth. So I definitely have felt that. But by the same token, and I, I always ask people to look for these moments within themselves. Because I think I like to, but it doesn't, you know, it no longer matters to me whether I'm right about things. I was brought up in a family where I was supposed to be right. Yeah. I was supposed to have everything reasoned out and all these I no longer care if I'm right. I, I live my life as if I create my own reality. Uh, do I? Is that true? I don't know. I just know I live a much better life. I draw much better experiences to myself when I feel I am the person that is drawing these kinds of experiences to myself. So what happened to me when I was in my 30s, I was attending with my husband a movie premiere. And we were going up an escalator about to enter the movie theater. And I was in a literally a golden ball gown. <laughs> and my husband's in a tux. And, and I had a moment where I went, this is what that little girl wanted. And I said, I thought, I'm going to send this image back to her. Just say, it's going to be there. You hang on. It's going to be there. Now, 
did I maybe receive that as a child? I don't know. This is all too mysterious for me. But I'm saying maybe we're all more flexible than we think we are. And maybe there are future aspects of ourselves that are trying to say, look, just take this pathway and you will find your way. That's why I believe in, in going to the unmediated, if you will, experience of our own bodies, yeah. our own dreams, our own psychological rhythms, because it's that's how this stuff can get into us. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, I want to talk with you about when we come back from break is I want to talk about what seems to be, or for me, one of the most difficult things for me to explain to people, because at some level, you know, throughout my career, my corporate career, you know, people looked at me as, yes, living in the world of optimism and possibility, but there was this thing that happened with it, which I never understood. And that was the perspective that if you live as an optimist, right, a possibilities optimist, that's the, that's the term they give to me, possibilities uh -huh. optimist, you're not a realist. Yeah. You're not going to be able to create things. You're not uh -huh. going to be able to hold a job down. You're not, yeah. you're not, you're not. And when we come back, I want to talk about how you bust through the crust on that one. Irene, before we go to break, how do people get a copy of the book and how do they find out more about you? Uh, they can find out more about me at IreneOGarden.com. That's my website. Or if you do Facebook, Irene O'Garden Poet and Author, though there's more information on my website. Uh, and uh, you can go to Amazon and order a copy of the book there. Uh, if you like indie books, you can go there or Barnes and Noble, you can go there. Uh, and uh, with a little flick of the wrist, you can uh, have the book in your hands very soon. Um, when we come back, think about this. How many of you have been labeled one or the other? Because it's not just for those of us over here the, that got that possibility, but how many of you have been labeled practical, realistic, and completely dismissed as creatives. I don't care what side of the coin you are on. When you hear that label for the first time, what do you think about yourself? And how can you emerge? As Viktor Frankl would say, how can you emerge the master of your own thoughts? Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back with Irene. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, certified life and recovery coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on transformationtalkradio.com.
Your eternal purpose is calling out to you each and every day. Are you listening? Tune in to Dynamic Destiny Radio with Coach Pete Cafarcio every first and third Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to be your authentic self and live the life that you were destined for. Learn practical tools to discover your purpose and conquer other fears that keep you stuck in a life of mediocrity. Learn more about Coach Pete by visiting PeteCoaching.com. How many times do you find yourself saying, it was nothing, or just doing my job, when really you knocked it out of the park? How did you get like this? Next time someone tells you, great job, you'll know how to accept it and not deflect it by listening to Courage to be Seen Radio with host Sherry Clark. Sherry Clark is an experienced global engineering leader, coach, and mentor. From her experiences one-on-one coaching to corporate consulting and executive coaching, Sherry has learned many women need at least three things to discover and face success. Learn about the ACES program, how to survive male-dominated fields with grace and authenticity, and reach the top without ever once giving up on who you are. Courage to be Seen host Sherry Clark explores the awesome power of your entire self and how far you can go by being more you. Check out her website, CourageToBeSeen.com. You have the courage to be seen. See you later. Get your goddess groove on with me, Laura Hosford. Tune in every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com, where I offer you authentic channel messages of love, inspiration, and heart healing grace. Get your goddess groove on. When the goddess speaks, everyone listens. For more information, visit laurahosford.com. That's laurahosford.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, Benny, let's give a copy of uh, Irene's book away. Glad to be human, Adventures in Optimism. It's really beautiful book. Beautiful, beautiful book. Um, so much in here uh, you could take away. I was struck by a couple things in the book, but, you know, this idea of vegetables and fruit love human contact. Boy, I'll tell you, <laughs> we, we could have more of that now. Um, um, please, Irene, one more time, tell folks how they can find out more about you and how they can get a copy of this book. They can get a copy of Glad to be Human at Amazon or Indie Book Baby or Barnes and Noble or your local independent bookstore. And uh, you can get a hold of me. Or you can take a look at some of the things that I do, some of the ways I express being a human. And there, <laughs> there's a big spectrum of those uh, at my website, irenogarden.com. So I want to get to one of these things you address in the book. And you address it in multiple places in the book in different ways. There's one place in the book you talk about creatives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're taking a journey, adventurous and optimism. And I know for most of my life, you know, this idea of being an optimist and living in the world of possibilities. And I shared this the other day. I literally got performance reviews in my corporate life that said, she's fantastic, a great worker, but we really think she's from another planet, right? <laughs> and so- Let's talk about these two labels we get that seem to be, depending upon who you talk to, mutually exclusive. You can be an optimist and a possibility seeker, but we're not sure if you're practical or realist or that. 
and the reverse is true. And these, how many people you know, like my best friend, Linda, who booked this as a triple Virgo and everybody sees her as practical in detail, but she's also creative, but we don't talk about that. How do we resolve this friction, let me call it, because they don't have to be elements of friction. They can be elements of flow. Absolutely. You know, there's a, a concept that I really like, which is the concept of a bridge belief, one that takes the things that look like they are on opposite banks and unites them. And the truth is, I think that being an optimist is being an ultimate realist. I think it is the most practical way of looking at life because it means that whatever comes our way, we are gonna be able to find nourishment in it. It doesn't mean we're keeping bad stuff away. It just means whatever quote unquote bad stuff, good stuff, whatever it is, it all gets into our digestive system, our psychological digest, and we can get good use out of any of it. And I think when we say we're being realistic, when we're saying, well, don't, you know, a lot of people say, well, don't expect the best because it's not realistic. It's don't, don't, uh, don't do it. And, and those are people who are making their lives, their imaginations, their circles small. They're not allowing growth. Yeah. Again, understandable. I don't judge them because they're fearful. And fear makes us want to protect things we feel are vulnerable. But, you know, if we think about the people that we really love the most, it's the people we are vulnerable with. It's the people who are vulnerable with us. Ongoing, all of the people we most admire, it's not that they didn't have experiences that challenge them. And, that, and those experiences are also in this book. My book is, it's not, it's, we call it a book of essays, but it's really, most of them are very short reflections on things that can happen in everyday life. Some of them are long, you know, and that, you know, the one about 9-11 and walking around New York City. Yeah, uh, what wow. do we make of that? How, how can we be optimistic after something like that happened? Well, we can be because we see people helping one another. Oh, yeah. We, and we're seeing that now, not just in our country, but we are seeing an outpouring around the globe of compassion. People are saying, you know what? We can no longer operate as if profits are more important than human beings. We will shut down economic systems. There are some people who think, let's open up systems, but those are still people who are looking at that very small lens of, you know, life is only worthwhile if you're making a profit. Uh, we are globally seeing that that is not the supreme value. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we can look at what's going on today and say, well, what can we make, what use can we make of this? We can see, and it depends on where we look and how we look, but it is very realistic. It's very practical. And we simply create from our evidence. We look for the evidence for the world we want to create. Well, and you know, part of this too is the ability to understand the level of creative genius that's emerging. And I think you touch upon that later in the book too. Um, 
we don't need a crisis to, <laughs> to yeah. be glad to be human. But it seems that when we do enter the realm of crisis, we are more creative than imaginable. And, you know, I thought about this as I was reading your book, and I, I've just got to find exactly where I footnoted this. But one of the things that, um, oh, fragilities. I was reading the fragilities oh, yes. part of the book. Yes. Um, and I was touched by a story that I remember. I shared it a month ago or so on air. And I got an email from one of the listeners. And it was when I was had my short bout of homelessness. Now, it mm-hmm. was a short bat, bout realistic to the entire length of my life. But at the time, it didn't feel oh, like that. Endless. You know, you count every minute of every day. And I remember being mentored by another homeless person mm-hmm. who said, "This you got to beg for money. You got to go someplace and beg for money. And what? I've got to beg for money? What? And he said, I'm going to go over here and, and I'm going to go over here. And this is where I'm going. Don't go over here. Go over to the Port Authority. And I said, oh, I know the Port Authority. Okay, I get what the Port Authority is. You know, I'm 17, been through the Port Authority a million times. And I remember what I learned on my first day in the Port Authority, like a million other people to this day do. Hey, can you give me a quarter? I need to get home. I can't find my wallet, the whole deal. And I had a Yankees hat on, a Yankees cap. And I learned in the first hour the power of that brand until somebody walked up to me and said, where's your Mets cap? Now, these are busy people. They are going to work because you're not going to be begging for money. You you go to rush hour, right? In and out, whatever they're doing. And I remember this so clearly that The minute I got a few bucks, right, back then you could buy a Mets cap. I went to one of the stands. I got a Mets cap and I had a Yankee cap. And I sat down in my normal begging position and I had both caps down. (laughs) And and so, you know, what's that story about? It's about practical possibilities, right? (laughs) It's about listening to somebody that had the courage to stop as you went by. Mm -hmm. But it also reminded me of the the frail, yet fragile, yet powerful moments in our life. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to a publisher. And um, uh, these people, they want me to write my book. I bet they do. (laughs) Then I got to the part in your book about truth. And I said to myself, there's got to be a reason why I haven't gotten to the place of writing to my book, my book yet. Mm-hmm. I don't, I want to be able to represent a version of truth about my life that mm-hmm. still comes from a place of optimism. And when I was here, I was reading this and, and I said, I don't remember kindergarten either. <laughs> I don't remember kindergarten. And I was reading this and I said to myself, we make up stories where we have gaps. Mm-hmm. And if we make up so many of them, do we lose the truth of who we are? 
Or mm. do you think that for us in this journey to be glad to be human, that innate ability, that it's hard to forget the truth of who we are? I think the truth of who we are is more like a process <laughs> than an actual <laughs> steady state thing. Um, because the world is a process, the universe is a process, and we are a living part of it. So who we are is, yes, related to who we were, but not fully. And who we are now is related to who we will be, but not fully. And so when, when we talk about truth, I think what we can talk about is our intention to share what seems truest in the moment in which we share it. And I also think it's important to remember that not every story is equally important. Mm. It depends on what it is we want to share. And guess what? It might not be important that we remember kindergarten if what we want to share happened in Port Authority. Yeah. You know? So so I think we cut ourselves a little slack and go, no, we are not meant to be cameras recording every moment and no. We are these living, responding beings, and we must trust our associative processes. We must trust our intuition that says, okay, well, I know that I want to tell something. And often when I sit to write, I'm not even quite sure what it is. I may have a tiny germ of an idea, but I don't really know what it is I want to say. And it is the process of writing that helps me go, oh, that's what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. So it is the process of intending to share our truth that helps us tell whatever those stories are. Mm. You talk about that in the book and that really, you know, this is what I want to talk with you about now. And Benny, let's go ahead and give a second copy of Glad to be Human Adventures in Optimism. Irene Ogarden joining me here today. Um, there are stories to tell. There are stories to tell. And we're finding more and more people want to fully express themselves and they're mm -hmm. not always in media right right you know? and then they definitely are not on news channels because mm -hmm. those are not the stories that are really all over the world for people that are hitting home here's an example and i want to ask you about the power of stories because mm -hmm. even the most challenging of stories i believe has a bright side you know, even that homeless situation with me, there mm -hmm. was a bright side to it. But I got a call from an acquaintance who said to me, this is interesting. This is how we put everybody in one bucket. Said <laughs> to me, are you going to go get your yellow t-shirt? And I'm, I, I have to tell you, I just had a blank. And I said, I generally don't wear yellow. Uh. But what, well, aren't you people, aren't you the wall of moms? And I said, no, where I live, we're the people that seized Capitol Hill in Seattle. <laughs> You're talking about Portland, right? <laughs> and they said, well, you're kind of all the same. And I thought, wow, 
That is so interesting. I'm from the, first of all, I'm from New York and New Jersey. I'm from the East uh, coast. Yeah, and yeah. I know that people in my family and my friends, they, they look at me here in the Pacific Northwest and they have <laughs> definitely said, you are no longer a resident of New York, <laughs> Jersey. But I was struck by how we may, I, I asked myself, how can we do a better job of telling stories so that the people that are barely following what really is happening in Portland, mm -hmm. get it. Mm -hmm. And as the, as the conversation went on and on with this person, clearly there was confusion on their part. And they asked me a question because they didn't know our culture, I guess. And they said, there's so many white people marching with Black Lives Matter signs. And I said, that is true. And their moms wearing mm -hmm. yellow t-shirts. Mm -hmm. And I said, this sounds like this is really confusing for you. She says, you know, it's not confusing after I'm talking to you because I'm understanding it. But there is confusion. So she, so she said to me, can you figure out how to tell a better story? And I got to tell you, Irene, hmm. I might live in a bubble here. I mean, we know what's happening in Portland. They're a sister city. Mm -hmm. um, we know what the moms are doing. But I didn't realize mm -hmm. that the rest of the world did not know that story. And what, I, what dawned on me after reading your book is, I wonder how we might help people to tell their story of their truth and their moment because there is a version of adventures in optimism that walks with every person that believes in something or doesn't believe in something. Yes, yes. But the search for the truth seems to be so elusive today. And that seemed to be what she was saying. How do we get to the truth of things? And, and I wanted to ask you about that, because my sense of the book is you have to first get to the truth of who you are. And I think that's a big question. Yeah, you well, you start from the basis of your of trusting yourself, which is actually a rather radical standpoint. That's pretty radical. <laughs> if you've been been brought up uh, to either believe because of religion that you should not trust yourself, that human beings are a, a, a bad spiritual race or you've been brought up in a scientific way to believe, well, we're just a random bunch of atoms anyway, <laughs> and we, we're neither good nor bad. We are simply, you know, this side of being robots because we're programmed to do. Okay, so but neither of those viewpoints, you can make a case for them, but neither of them has seemed to really bring out the best in human beings, you know? <laughs> I think what brings out the best in human beings is when one person connects with another person. And one of the most important things about stories is we must always remember to listen. It's listening that will improve our storytelling. It's listening for when somebody is telling us something, trying to get what it is they're trying to tell us, what are trying to open that intuitive, that vulnerable aspect of ourselves when we're listening. And then 
when we're telling our own story and we're reading good stories and we're, we're, we're nourishing ourselves with the best kinds of vocabulary so that we can express ourselves really well, then we become more empowered to tell what feels like our truth. Can we legislate truth? We can't. Can we be sure that everything everybody's telling us it? No, we can't. Do we sacrifice all trust? We can't because then we have not, there is no bridge. There is no bridge then if there's no trust. So when we are confronted with something that appears to not be true, you know, various people have different ways of, of, of going after that. I am not the person who's going to be pounding and bad. bad. I am a different sort, but uh, do we need those people? I think we probably do. Like we need lawyers. I don't like to get up and argue, but it's good to have people who love to get up and argue. I think the most important thing is that we know who we are and what, where our strengths lie and what can we bring to this discussion or what can we bring? You know, the moms are bringing themselves and their bike helmets and that is fantastic. And the dads are bringing the leaf blowers and that's fantastic. And some people are working behind the scenes on legislation or organization or whatever, or some people are reading books for the first time that challenge their ideas of what the country was founded on. So I think whatever you trust yourself to be drawn towards you or wherever you're drawn towards, you trust that and go in that direction and find and create your truth and share it with those who are, who are with you on that same journey. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I want to really bring around here is, you know, by the time I got past, uh, you know, reading the technology part of the book and I, and I got to one of the parts of the book that you call tapping power. And I was so refreshed to see the word power. Um, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to invite more and more women to use the word power. Um, we have a culture here in the U.S. where that word has been, you know, looked at as something not so good. And it's a tough word. It always has been a tough word for power. And so when I did a show on that, somebody said to me something like, Pat, why don't you have that in your show title? And so what I did is I created a separate show called Power Up with Dr. Pat. Uh, and so I love how our listeners hold me to walk the talk. Uh, but this is part of this, this notion of being glad to be human. Because in that dialogue this morning, what I realized much later was that this person had seen a clip I, I mean, I don't sit here and watch the, whatever's going on in the Congress and stuff. I mean, I'm mm-hmm, working. Mm-hmm. But they had watched a clip that looked as if Portland was burning. And so they were concerned mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, so it took me yeah. 45 minutes to realize that that's what the call was about. Oh. And the question then becomes, we are here and we are so much more powerful than anything we think we are. Mm -hmm. Um, In these final minutes, I want to ask you, 
What have you learned to help people understand that they too can tap into power? And power could be as gentle as a feather, right? Mm -hmm. Or it could be as loud as, you know, the gavel of a judge announcing, (laughs) in my case, me not guilty. (laughs) But it made your book. Well, it's interesting. Power is something that many of us are brought up to believe we do not have. Yeah. Power belongs to someone else. Power, you know, when we're children, it seems like, oh, only power belongs to parents. Only power belongs to authority figures. And what I think is wonderful to remember is that even as children, we possess immense power. We can make our parents come over here and do stuff because we are expressing our power so strongly. We're expressing our emotional power, expressing our physical power. We're, and it, it is important for some people to make other people feel powerless so that they can hold on to what it is they perceive as the most important form of power. But power is always within us. Power, again, if you return to the body, you can feel it. If you return to the mind, you can feel it. If you just close your eyes for a moment and think about someone you love, just think of that very person right now and feel what is happening, not just in your body, but just in your whole immediate area. When you think, someone you love so much that is power so it's important for us to connect on a daily basis with our power with the power that comes through us from the universe or if you want to call it source or however you want to phrase that for yourself it's part of all existence and we are here with a very special brand of it Often we don't even know what it is. If she, again, if you look at my website, you will see the many different explorations I have made of my power, whether it's performing or lettering or artwork or whatever. We are here to explore all these iterations of our power, to share those iterations of our power, and to remind one another, especially women, of our immense power. We've been seeing some mighty, mighty expressions of female power in just this last week alone. I said to a friend of mine, if we have to lose our BG, at least we have AOC. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's interesting. You know, somebody asked me when the last time I saw that many women line up in that level of unity. And I said, don't underestimate women. You may not hear about it, but the last time women came out in that numbers is when they formed Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And I said, don't underestimate the power of that. Um, And what she said to me was really interesting. And I don't have an answer that makes sense. She said, why wasn't the true representation of those moms? Why wasn't that aired? And I said, I don't have an answer for that. You know, except that media is run by two mega companies. But you can Google it. Irene, thank you so much for today. Thank you, oh, thank sure. you, thank you for And let everything. me just say, I'm so glad that your media is out there. There are lots of little outlets of 
powerful media. Yeah, and we're independent and we plan it. to stay that way. All right, <laughs> everybody. Irene, thank you. Thank you all for tuning Not us amazing. in. Thank you, everybody.